0: A lot of people don't like insects, something I begrudgingly accept. I don't like cage fighting. You're allowed your preferences. Now, I know there's tons to admire about cage fighting, the discipline of all the contrasting styles in the drama. All really interesting, but it's not for me. I have, as I see it, valid reasons for not being into cage fighting. And I can acknowledge that people have valid reasons for disliking insects, Though I can see ample reasons to be intrigued by them. People see them as dirty, invasive, potentially dangerous. Absolutely fair in some cases. There are insects that hurt us, insects that can be damaging to our livelihoods, our crops, insects that carry diseases. So there are reasons to dislike insects, but then, is it a well-informed dislike? Children are often fascinated by insects, but if they've been taught that insects are horrible, then they're repulsed by them, and they glory in stamping on them, which breaks my heart. Hatred of insects has understandable cultural roots, but is often just that, cultural, a taught response. What if we lean into the fascination instead? give ourselves permission to be fascinated by something which we're told should revolt us. In this episode, we're talking about cockroaches. have a strong cultural sense of the cockroach. When someone says cockroach we shudder. They represent rot and decay. We don't hold them in high regard. But then beyond these associations what do we know about cockroaches? What do we know about their lives? In this episode I want to think about the cockroach as an animal and not as a pest or a symbol. What is there to learn about these animals? And does that learning give us a new perspective? Bring out the cockroach in a more endearing light? Though it's worth remembering they do tend to value the dark. I'm undecided if I'm trying to win you round to cockroaches. We can frame it that way, maybe. But broadly speaking, I'm just talking about something which I think is interesting. Give the cockroach a moment or two, and perhaps it'll fascinate you. To learn more about cockroaches, and in particular, to ask questions about their evolution and how they relate to other animals, I spoke to Professor Dominic Evangelista. Dominic is an entomologist and a cockroach expert. He was a fascinating person to speak to, not only because of his expertise in the much maligned cockroach, but also because of his attitude towards the idea of knowledge and study. Additionally, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, Dominic's been part of NTOPOC. NOPOC is an initiative which helps provide access for people of colour to scientific societies, seeking to address inequalities within the scientific community. More on that later. Dominic, could you let us know your professional relationship with insects and with cockroaches? Sure.
1: So I'm a professor at um, Adelphi University, which is a private university in in New York, uh, near New York City. I'm an entomologist, Uh, I'm also an evolutionary biologist, um, and specifically I study the evolutionary history of cockroaches.
0: And what was it that made you specialise in cockroaches in particular? Um, So I guess
1: when I started in grad school, I just wanted to be different from everyone else. Um, I guess that's just part of my personality. Um, And so I was working with other entomologists in grad school so most of them were working on um, dragonflies and damselflies, which you know are these very large, beautiful, attractive kind of insects. So I wanted to go the other direction. So I um, just wanted to work on cockroaches. And it didn't really matter to me much what I worked on, uh, because I've, I kind of um, have this perspective that like once you get to know something, once you get to know a, a topic very intensely, then that is what makes it interesting to you.
0: I think that's absolutely right. And from outside academia, that's almost how I feel about insects more broadly. It's like a an interest in insects is a defiant kind of interest. But it's interesting that even within entomology, people are seeing certain species and orders as more glamorous than others. So the dragonflies, they're striking and beautiful, whereas the cockroach is sort of a, a bit grim. So with that in mind, I wanted to ask you, and I'm sure you get asked all the time do you actually like cockroaches? I do, yeah. So, um, cockroaches definitely have bad
1: uh, PR, right? Uh, the ones that we know about are really the ones that are not terribly interesting. Um, I, I mean, I suppose it, it, it depends on your perspective and what, what you're interested in, but um, in terms of like being visually attractive or being ecologically uh, unique or evolutionarily. Uh, enigmatic, I guess you could use the word, the ones, the cockroaches that we know about are fairly well understood. It's the thousands of other ones, and many of those uh, can be quite attractive, um, have very surprising biology and um, are, have lots of things that we have yet to understand
0: about them. When we think of cockroaches, we picture pretty hefty insects scuttling across dirty floors with an appearance that seems somehow suitable for an animal we think of as vile. A murky shine, their colours make us think of soil, of putrescence, of muck and mire. But as Dominic said, this isn't the case for all cockroaches. Cockroaches are in the gamut aesthetically. We have delicate leaf green cockroaches, black and white Oreo patterned cockroaches, red and black ladybird imitators, and cockroaches with a gentle blue lapis glow. If you struggle to see the beauty in a household cockroach, have a little image search. There's a whole world of incredible, beautiful, painterly cockroaches out there. So then you're not particularly interested in the more household cockroaches.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, most of the people that I think do research on those are more interested in figuring out how we can, uh, you know, destroy cockroaches. And I certainly do a lot of killing of cockroaches in my, in my job, but um, I'm more interested in learning about just, just learning about them for the sake of learning about them, not necessarily how to eradicate them.
0: The household cockroaches are the ones that are more familiar to me, though i fortunate to say I've never had any real-life encounters with them. I've always been aware of them through TV and film. They're symbols of dirtiness, but also of invasiveness. When we think of the cockroach, we think of wreck and ruin, griminess. We associate them with dilapidation, but also fear their arrival, their spoiling of our living space. We fear their presence in our homes, and we have an awareness of their supposed hardiness, this ability to survive without a head, or the ability to survive a nuclear blast and we worry that this hardiness would make their removal from our homes all the more taxing. In Men in Black, a giant cockroach alien comes from space. And, of course, a cockroach is a great form for an invader to take. The invasion of Earth parallels the invasion of our homes. The alien plays off our experience of real cockroaches, amplifying the things we dislike about them, whilst being horrifying in its capacity to defend itself, inverting the power dynamic which we're used to sharing with cockroaches. Men in Black is playing off real-life anxieties of insect invasion, I like insects, but I wouldn't be thrilled to share my home with them and I don't invite them in. Our homes are sacred, they're our spaces. We are anxious of cockroaches, but can we experience that lack of a desire for their company without simultaneously hating the animal in and of itself? A lot of people like elephants or monkeys, but they'd knack at your house. It's a silly example, obviously, because elephants are unlikely to turn up in your house. But then, cockroaches didn't evolve to live in homes. It's a habitat they've gained, sure, but they were around a long time before us. We have fossils of cockroaches from around 120 million years ago, when they coexisted with dinosaurs. Cockroaches are close relatives of the praying mantis, both likely deriving from more ancient cockroach like insects. Though most cockroaches will have originated substantially more recently than 120 million years ago, they're still millions of years old, predating humanity and our home significantly. This relationship between the mantis and the cockroach made me think about the idea of closely related insects. The cockroach and the mantis are close relatives, it said. But I want to know exactly what this meant and how it was understood, and so I asked Dominic, you can of course make the analogy to uh,
1: like your your family you're you're going to be more closely related to your siblings than you are to your cousins um, and it's It's really very similar logic when we're talking about insects um, so and the way we can kind of um, uh, visualize it is by going backwards in time. so if you're starting together uh, starting at the present with yourself. And you trace your lineage backwards uh, along with that of your siblings, you f- figure out when you share a common ancestor. So you and your siblings share a common ancestor with your parents. Uh, now if you compare yourself to your cousin, you and your cousin share a common ancestor with your grandparents. So that's using that same logic, if we trace back cockroaches backwards in time with mantises, we see that they have a fairly recent common ancestor. That common ancestor, i believe existed about 250 million years ago. And if we compare cockroaches to any other insect and we trace them back until they have a common ancestor, that common ancestor is going to be further back in time, 275
0: million years ago or even further back. So then to take that to its extreme, we can describe ourselves as being related to cockroaches just much less so than a praying mantis because our common ancestor is much much further back.
1: Absolutely. Yes, so our our common ancestor with with cockroaches probably goes back, um, you know, I'm not even sure, maybe like
0: 600, somewhere between 500 and 600 million years, I think. So I saw on your website some work you did with a fossil of what was thought to be a praying mantis and which you've now recategorized as a cockroach. And I guess I wondered, so a, a praying mantis and a cockroach look quite strikingly different to me and to a lay person, I guess. How are you able to make that distinction between... A praying mantis and a cockroach from a fossil, given that it's not something you can dissect or look at particularly closely? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So, um,
1: so first of all, uh, it is true that cockroaches and mantises look very different from each other. Um, at first glance, at least. However, if you, if, if you're, uh, if, if you were to Google a picture of uh, a cockroach Um, and then you look at it from sort of a top-down perspective like imagine the cockroach is below you on the floor and you're looking you're above it looking at it and now in your mind you stretch it like like it's made of uh, clay Um, and you stretch it and elongate it when you do that to a, to a cockroach, it doesn't look very much different from a praying mantis. And in fact, there are some cockroaches that have this kind of elongate, more elongated body. And there are also some mantises that have a kind of a shorter, stubbier body. Um, and so it, it's true that in general, cockroaches look very different from most mantises, but there are some exceptions. Um, and so it can be kind of difficult to differentiate the two. And the other thing is, is if, um, if you were t- you said you found this on my website, so if you go to my website, there is a picture of this fossil, and uh, uh, you know we think of we think of fossils as like these beautiful insects trapped in amber, like you know the mosquito in in the Jurassic park movie um, and some of them are some of them are like that, but a lot of the fossils that we have for insects are fragmentary they're only isolated body parts, or even if they are the full body, you don't get a lot of detail or internal structure on um, those specimens. And so um, this, this fossil in particular is really just a wing. Uh, we have some very small fragments of some of the other body parts, but it's really just the front, one of the front wings um, that we have detail on. And uh, if you're just looking at the front wings, Cockroaches and mantises look very similar to each other. Um, however, so we we look in in looking a little bit more closely uh, at this fossil than other than previous people had, and, and taking a kind of broader look at what we know about cockroaches, uh, living cockroaches, we were able to find some characters that we think that some characteristics that we think indicated that this was probably a cockroach and not a praying mantis. But that being said, a lot of a lot of insect fossils really don't have um, don't have a ton of evidence in them for us to make uh, big claims about uh, their taxonomy or their evolutionary history or their behavior so a lot of times when um, entomologists are working with fossils, they kind of have to work with what what they're given and so uh, there's going to be some, probably, I guess I would say a higher level of um, less com. We're less, a com- little bit less confident when we're dealing with fossils than when we're dealing with um, living species.
0: Yeah, it makes total sense. And and as you as we're saying that, I I have looked up cockroaches and I've looked up prim- And you're absolutely right. Now that you've said it, if you stick some big arms on the front and stretch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not a million miles off at all, are you? Definitely. And
1: and and maybe like, uh, you know, when that, when around the time of that common ancestor between mantises and, and cockroaches, we think that cockroaches may have had front limbs very similar to mantises as well. So that even makes it a little bit more confusing that there are some cockroaches that maybe look a lot more like mantises that are now extinct.
0: We know that cockroaches predate humanity by some distance, So what was the habitat of the cockroach in those days before humans? Well, even today, as Dominic has said, the majority of the world's cockroach species don't live in human homes. Of the thousands of cockroach species distributed all around the world, only a few are viewed as pests. Cockroaches like damp, dark places. They most typically live among the leaf litter, among rotten vegetation. They thrive in the tropics and subtropics where they're at their most diverse. These cockroaches out in the wild, colourful and beautiful and varied, are lovely in the abstract, but the fact is... People think of cockroaches as home invaders, massing in dark corners, scuttling for cover when the lights come on. Their evolutionary history, their variation, doesn't make up for the pest status of those few flagship species. The German cockroach, the Oriental cockroach, the American cockroach and the brown banded cockroach. When we think of these cockroaches, we don't think of individuals. We think of cockroaches as coming in groups. A solitary cockroach carries with it the sinister implication that there's a crowd close at hand. Let's talk about the fact that cockroaches come in groups. The fact that cockroaches come in groups might actually be something that you find quite endearing about them. Like us, cockroaches are social animals. They thrive in groups and are capable of familial recognition. They understand the cockroaches that are related to them. They've not attained eusociality like the ants, but nevertheless show extensive social behaviour. They're a little more egalitarian perhaps than eusocial insects, as all cockroaches are capable of reproducing and they don't have specific reproductive individuals. That is, except in certain cases, which we'll discuss later. The value that cockroaches derive from their social behaviour can be exemplified through experiments in which cockroaches are raised in isolation. Cockroaches raised in isolation show less interest in foraging, less confidence in exploring, and less success in finding a mate. These are animals that thrive on company. There's a few other interesting social behaviours we can observe in cockroaches. For example, cockroaches prefer to feed in a group, sharing a food source even if other food sources are available. They also appear to be capable of rudimentary group decision making. In an experiment, a group of 50 cockroaches were offered three shelters in which to congregate, none of which would accommodate the full 50. In this situation, the cockroaches would group themselves into two groups of 25, filling two of the shelters, leaving the third one empty. They want to be in as large a group as possible, and will organise as such. Given the option to congregate in a full 50, this would be the option they prefer. So cockroaches love the crack, and they like getting in a mixer and fair play to them. But as well as being gregarious as hell, cockroaches also tend towards being pretty nurturing parents. Cockroaches of different species have different parental strategies. Some lay their eggs inside an ootheca, a kind of leathery capsule containing numerous individual eggs. This, the mother will carry for a time before leaving it somewhere safe to hatch, carefully concealing it with bits and pieces of debris. Other cockroaches are what we call ovoviviparous, which means that their eggs hatch internally. This gives them the appearance of giving live birth to their young, which are called nymphs. Nymphs are tiny, wingless versions of the cockroach, which will then develop through a series of molts, as opposed to having a larval stage like a maggot or a grub. It's these cockroaches which give live birth, as it were, that have a greater personal investment in the young. For some, it'll be as simple as the mother acting as a place for the young nymphs to shelter, while their shells harden, before they disperse. Others are capable of coddling the young inside their wing cases, and many cockroach mothers are able to directly feed the young on secretions expelled from their bodies. For the sake of the cockroach's public image crisis and wanting to keep you vaguely inside, I'm going to move quickly past maternal cannibalisation of the young. If you're not impressed by cockroaches, maybe it's worth looking at the cockroach family more broadly. Cockroaches are an order of insect, the Blatledea, but there are other insects within this order that might appeal to you, even if the more classic cockroach leaves you cold. You'd be forgiven for thinking that termites were a kind of ant. They are eusocial, having a reproductive king and queen, living in vast collaborative colonies. Termites build some of the most incredible structures observed in nature. Vast pinnacles, chimney-stacked mounds threaded with tunnels. But termites are in fact a type of cockroach. So, if you admire these incredible architects, you're admiring a cockroach. These cockroaches, the termites, have pushed beyond the relatively rudimentary social behaviour of the cockroaches we know. Developing complex societies, building incredible homes. The cooperative eusocial behaviour of termites is, is presumably a development of the cockroach's preference for gathering in familial groups. Like many insects, and in a way that can be difficult for humans to relate to, termites and other cockroaches communicate largely through chemical means, essentially through the sense of smell. They're able to secrete communicative chemicals called pheromones. Cockroaches can recognise members of their kin through smell, detected through their antenna. They're able to group themselves based on a kind of family order. When exploring, cockroaches prefer to follow the order trails left by members of their family, a behaviour, which then reaches its zenith in the foraging behaviour of termites. Cockroaches, on dying, also emit a particular death odor, And right as that sounds, for the living cockroaches, they can then avoid that smell and and therefore hopefully avoid danger. It's the cockroach's reliance on smell, coupled with its size and the scale of its groups, that explains the smell that accompanies a cockroach infestation. It's an oily, musty smell, which is no fun for anyone, but which is the consequence of their reliance on chemical communication. Having just spoken about termites, the notion of these creatures that are related to cockroaches that are part of that family, let's take a short break from full-on cockroach chat and have a little philosophical moment. When I say the termite is a kind of cockroach or cockroaches and mantids are closely related, what's the point of that information? Who cares? If we're being pragmatic, is there any practical value in uncovering the evolutionary history of the cockroach? This being his job, I put the question to Dominic. So
1: definitely, I think it's worth learning about things just for the sake of of learning about them. And then sometimes when we do that, we can come to more profound understandings of the workings of evolutionary biology that are more fundamental, thus learn more about our world in a way that we may may not have expected um, if we had never done that uh, purely scientific exploration. But that being said, so in the process of making, so I make evolutionary trees, um, and in the process of making those evolutionary trees, even though... I'm working with um, cockroaches, All, everyone who works on evolutionary trees is, is interested in making, how we can make evolutionary trees better. And so therefore the same methods that I use in my research are the same methods that people will use when they're making an evolutionary tree of coronaviruses or Ebola viruses. Um, and so uh, part of my research is, is uh, focused on improving how we can build, Evolutionary trees and how we can use uh, genetic data to look back in the past and make inferences about how uh, about what events happened either in the recent or very ancient past. So yeah, th- th- it's a, I would say that my that this kind of research and the way that I approach it is a combination of stuff that is definitely purely academic, um, but also an attempt to innovate uh, innovate on the methodology and to, so that way we can better use these tools to, uh, for all applications, not just academic ones.
0: That's quite a profound answer then, really, in terms of, you know, it's, it's well worth knowing about things and how creatures and living things relate to one another for the sake of just having a better picture of our world. But that better picture, I can't help notice, you know, you, you name dropped the coronavirus and, or coronaviruses, and understanding how things relate has really quite a profound impact in terms of, the ramifications of how we can use that information for fighting diseases and things.
1: Yes, definitely. So I don't know if you got, if you in the UK had this um, conspiracy theory about um, uh, coronavirus being constructed in a lab somewhere and being, you know, sent out in, in, into the world for some ob- obscure reason. Um, but this is something that we can investigate using the same methods that I use to study the evolutionary history of cockroaches. Um, so to, to debunk that conspiracy theory requires um, just the knowledge of, uh, a, of, a, of an evolutionary biologist, I guess, and, and, th- those people, and people have done those studies to, um, to investigate those kinds of things.
0: Whilst we're talking about study, and before we wrap up the cockroach chat, I want to talk about NOPOC, an initiative which is addressing inequalities within the scientific community. NOPOC is a fantastic initiative, and one better explained by Dominic than me, and so I'll pass to him to do so. So would it be okay to talk a bit about NOPOC and your work with that initiative? Sure. Yeah,
1: when, uh, uh, when the world, or when the US and then the world, erupted in protest after the, the killing of George Floyd, um, in the united States you know a lot uh, there was uh, there was a day where uh, all scientists or or many scientists stopped working in protest i think it was called ha- it was a hashtag uh, shutdown stem and so me and my collaborators we took that day as a day to reflect upon what we can do to better to you know perhaps we can't change the world we can't um, change laws we can't you know we, we can but we can make small change in our little community so we decided to look at the community of entomology in the united states and uh, address inequities in entomology there so um, we did some research we're going to come out with a research paper soon um sh- and, and based on the based on uh data from the national science foundation in the us we we show that uh, Black and Latinx people in entomology are highly underrepresented compared to the general population of the United States. That entomology departments in the United States are distributed in areas that are not representative of of the general US population. And there's been a lot of research showing, uh, a lot of other research showing that there are certain disadvantages that, uh, we call them BIPOC, so Black, Indigenous, and peoples of color, face in science, but also in entomology. And so with our initiative, we're trying to raise money to provide opportunities for students to uh, get into science and get into entomology. So we're we're funding students to attend scientific meetings. um, And we are also trying to do some other funding things as well. But for now, we're focusing on trying to to diversify our scientific conferences and our scientific societies. Um, So that's we have a website, EntoPOC. if you or any of your listeners would just google the word ento e n t o and the letters p o c um i think the top the top few results will show our twitter account our website and maybe our gofundme account as well
0: fantastic and this may seem like an obvious question to you but why is access to scientific societies important to students
1: uh, yeah uh so so the ability to get into science is um, not just a function of who your parents are, but also a function of how engaged you feel with science. Um, and how much, how, how much, how part, how, if you are part of a community. And attending scientific conferences, scientific conferences is one way to become a part of the scientific community for all students. So, yeah, we wanted to give all, uh, to, to improve access to scientific societies uh, to
0: everybody. Well, it's a fantastic initiative, and it's one that I hope people do continue to support. It, it, it's quite a new initiative, isn't it? So you mentioned it came out of the the anger felt in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. I wondered if you could give us some examples of the, the early impact your initiatives managed to have.
1: Uh, definitely. So I think within two weeks, we raised about $6,000, uh, 6000 US dollars. Um, and at at this point, I think we've raised almost $15,000. Um, so we're able We've been able to offer at least, I believe, 30 to 40 students free registration to um, the upcoming Entomological Society of America meeting. Um, we've talked to people in the UK and Canada about doing similar things um, uh, in other sci- in other entomological societies, um, not just in North America. Um, and we are also in talking with uh, some other scientific societies in North America, um, some that that work with, uh, um, you know, because sometimes entomologists collaborate with police departments for forensics, um, and we're working with, with them to try to get some, uh, I guess, ethical guidelines for entomologists to work with
0: police. Right, so yeah, that's that's quite a big conversation at the moment, isn't it? Our relationship with the police and the role of the police is something we're having to think about quite carefully and critically. And, I mean, the relationship between people of colour and the police is something which has been... Incredibly strained. To say the least, I think, yes. On entelpoc.org, you can read the n2plc mission statement and apply for funding or make a donation. There are also resources relating to inclusivity in entomology, job postings, and a scientist of the month feed. I think this is a fantastic initiative and an important initiative, and one that's well worth your time and well worth a donation. If you've come into this episode already disliking cockroaches, I suspect you're not going to be a convert. If you've got cockroaches in your house, it's sort of beside the point that they're exhibiting interesting social behaviours. Let's talk about a different aspect of the cockroach. Let's talk about this idea of their hardiness. Cockroaches as inheritors to the earth is a common trope. We often discuss cockroaches alongside ideas of the end of humanity, nuclear war. In Wally, a cockroach is Wally's companion, apparently capable of enduring any amount of damage, sole organic presence in a ruined, abandoned world. In the Fallout games, Rad roaches, giant irradiated cockroaches, play off the idea of cockroaches being able to survive nuclear war. This idea that cockroaches are resistant to radiation and nuclear blasts is rooted in truth, though it's not quite as clean cut as the trope makes out. Cockroaches are certainly more resilient to radiation than humans. This said, this is a factor of insects and arthropods generally, not specific to cockroaches. Cockroaches can survive radiation up to ten times greater than humans, but their resistance is outclassed by fruit flies and many other invertebrates. Cockroaches are survivors, quickly developing resilience to poisons, capable of surviving in arctic temperatures, radio-resistant and thrilled to eat rotten waste. They'll cope for a little while with that head, since like other insects, they do not require it for breathing and they have a nervous system that isn't wholly reliant on the brain. That said, a headless cockroach is incapable of eating and so its capacity for survival is more academic than practical. So cockroaches have a lot going for them in terms of I think they're really interesting. To be honest they're not an insect that I'm wild about in terms of I don't want them in my home, I don't want to come around yours if you've got cockroaches. When I think about the things I've offered for reasons to like cockroaches I notice that I've talked about things that make them sympathetic, things that make them feel closer to us, their sociability, their parenting but the truth is they're nothing like us and they don't need our approval. They're animals existing in their own way and that should be enough really. Whether or not you find the cockroach's lifestyle distasteful, I do think we should be respectful of animals, certainly never revel in their destruction or demonising them because we don't personally like the idea of living like a cockroach. You haven't got to live like a cockroach, you can't live like a cockroach. You haven't the the capacity to live like a cockroach. The cockroach is doing its own thing. When we watch nature programmes and a cheetah is hunting a gazelle, we can find ourselves rooting for the underdog. This is absolutely fine, but we can't demonise the predator, which is just doing its thing and fulfilling an important role within its ecosystem. And then I don't necessarily find it horrific that we've used animals to build cultural ideas and used cockroaches to inspire monsters, relying on them as cultural touchstones to tell exciting stories. But I would remind you, they're not monsters and they're not villains. We're allowed to find them distasteful and want to avoid them, but we should hold on to the fact that no creature is evil or out to get us. My dad, who's worked a lot with bats, has always been irritated by bats being used as set dressing in horror films. They're just animals... They don't crave the company of evil. They owe us no ill will. We can easily be tricked into disliking things and finding them frightening because of the role they've played in cinema and myth and storytelling and we should be wary of that. In Life on a Little Known Planet, Howard E. Evans writes, The study of roaches may lack the aesthetic values of birdwatching and the glamour of space flight, but nonetheless it would seem to be one of the more worthwhile human activities. I get the sense that cockroach fans are amply aware of the low standing of the cockroach. And yet there's clearly much to be learned about these animals. They're complex, varied, fascinating. Clearly there's great reward to be found in the study and understanding of cockroaches. Does a cockroach expert feel like one of an enlightened few, members of an exclusive society? Or is the pressure to defend the cockroach a great burden, given the incredible uphill battle that one us to fight in defence of the humble cockroach? If you're not a cockroach fan, or more broadly not an insect fan, absolutely fine, you're entitled to it. And if you don't want cockroaches in your home, terrific, I don't want them either. I'm by no means suggesting that we try and coexist alongside them in our homes and I won't be ushering them in. But I hope that by thinking about them as more than symbols of squalor, we're able to see that an animal exists on its own terms. There's a lot more to an animal, to any animal, than the ideas we have about them. And they don't need to justify themselves to us, even though I've tried with the cockroach in some part to justify them to you. Gribbing in the Filth was written and produced by me, Tom Sharp, with music by Will Hatton. I'd love to hear from you. Perhaps you found value and fascination in animals which are widely derided or discovered a love for something through what was initially a defiant insistence on avoiding what was popular. God knows that's how I've petulantly developed a lot of my interests. Alternatively, if you have a perspective to share on the cockroach, an anecdote, or a point of view, you can email me at gribbinginthefilth at gmail.com or find Grubbing in the Filth on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, don't forget to lay your eggs in a leathery capsule concealed with fragments of debris and excrement. Bye.